Good morning, church family. Good morning. And uh, I love that last portion of speak, O Lord. Speak, O Lord, to your church is built. Christians historically have believed, because this is what the Bible claims, that God's word is what builds his church. And this is why, if you're a guest, we want to welcome you. I want to extend a warm welcome to you. This is why the word of God is central to everything that we do here at Evergreen Church. I mean, if you're just even participating in the service, you heard the word read by Jim Kagawa. You just heard the word sung right there as we sung it together. You heard the word prayed through Pastor Mako. And now you'll be able to, at the end of service, for Christians, you will be able to see the word acted upon when we take communion together. And then right now, the central focus of our church is to hear from God. Right now, you hear the word preached out of Mark chapter 4. Okay, so I hope you're understanding this. Particularly if you're a guest, we just want to make it plainly clear. This is why the Word of God is so central. Because the Word of God is what builds His church. Okay? Um, back in 2010, I heard this story where owner of our team, Paul Allen, was cruising around in his boat, in his ship, in, in Lake Washington. And he purchased the Seattle Seahawks, and he thought, it's time to get a new facility. So as he was cruising around uh, in Lake Washington, he, he cruised to the east side towards an area called Renton. And he said, wow, that would be a perfect place to put a facility. It's right on the water. It would be a gorgeous place. It's secluded. He told his assistant, find out who owns it so I could buy it and, and, and build a facility and so his assistant goes back, the story goes to the records, and he does research. And he goes, well, Mr. Allen, uh, it turns out that you own that mill. You own that facility. <laughs> I just thought that would be a fitting illustration to kind of begin our sermon today. Because we have been called to evangelize non-believers. Christians from the very beginning, starting from the Great Commission, go and make disciples, have been called to minister the gospel message of Jesus Christ to the lost. And so if you're not, if you're a non-believer here today, we're super glad that you're here. You're gonna hear the gospel message today. This is why we're here. But when I mention the word evangelism to many professing Christians, there's different reactions. Some people are really excited. Yes! Yes, we get to go around the neighborhood on Saturday and knock on doors and perhaps share the gospel. What a great opportunity. Some people get nervous. Some people get nervous. I don't know how to say it. I don't know what to say. They may reject me. Some people are very fearful of it. So many of us may feel very guilty, like, I know we're called to evangelize, yet I've never shared the gospel with anyone before. Maybe even not, maybe someone in my family, maybe outside my family, I've never shared the gospel message of Jesus Christ with anyone before. So, so many of us may feel guilt-ridden because we unashamedly say, because that's what God's word says, we need to evangelize the lost. We need to share the gospel. We need to tell people about Jesus Christ. And you may agree, go yes, and feel convicted, but I've never actually done it. That could leave you with a sense of guilt. And I want to really minister to that area because 
according to the Barna report, 64% of evangelicals think that evangelism is uh, optional. It's an optional thing, perhaps meant for those who are gifted with evangel- the gift of evangelism or pastors or missionary types. And another report says that 95% of professing believers have never led anyone to Christ. 95%. So I really want to minister to this area today, particularly if you're feeling guilty or even particularly if you're feeling ill-equipped or not confident to share the gospel. I'm praying and hoping that this message will be a particular encouragement to everyone here. Okay, And if you are evangelizing people to understand the nature of the gospel more so you could still proclaim the gospel with confidence, right? I'm a natural coach. I want to have our people confident. And so you're going to get a good exhortation here. Okay? So we're going to look into the nature of the gospel today so that we all, as Evergreen Church, will be sowing more seeds of the gospel. This is what the hope, of, the fruit of what I hope comes out of Mark chapter 4, 21 to 34. So if you're able to, please turn to Mark chapter 4, verses 21 to 34 is what we'll preach. And we rise to honor God's word. This is uh, an act and a reminder to all of us how precious that God's word is. So please rise and follow along with me out of Mark chapter 4, 21 to 34. And he, Jesus, was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care of what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Verse 30. And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is small, than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he will speak in the word to them, so far as they were able to hear it. And he, he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your holy and precious word. As we sung, speak, O Lord. I pray your spirit allow me to preach your word faithfully. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit will give us ears to hear, allow us to hear what you're saying so that we will have greater confidence in the message of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. I want to be clear as a preacher, I'm learning to do that. And so the outline that we have, or the roadmap that we, I'm going to give you ahead of time is, I'm going to keep asking, what are you sowing? In other words, do you understand 
what you're telling people, right? What is the nature of the gospel? And so the first point will be we are sowing the proclamation of God. Second will be we're sowing the power of God. And then thirdly and finally, we are sowing the plan of God, the plan of God. Okay, so I'm going to keep asking this question. What are you sowing? Point number one, you are sowing the proclamation of God. Verse 21 to 25 talks about how God has revealed himself. And Jesus gives a rhetorical question to, to encourage the disciples and those who are listening. He gives a, he asks a question that it's an obvious answer. He talks about a lamp. And in this day, a lamp was a handheld size, a uh, clay pot where, where you could pour oil into with a wick in it and you light it and it lights up like a candle. Okay, it's a lamp. And he asks this question where anyone would say, of course you don't put it under a, a, a bed. Of course you put it on a lampstand. And in, in other words, he was telling them the revelation that you're learning about the kingdom, which ultimately leads to me in this, in verse 21, I want to draw you to how it says, a lamp, a lamp is not brought to the, to be put under a basket, but a lamp, the a in my mind should be translated the lamp because the, in the original language, a is a definite article, which means the, she, the lamp, the lamp, who is the lamp, who is the light of the world? Well, John says that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. So in other words, Jesus is saying the knowledge that you're gaining about me, Jesus Christ, is not meant to be hidden underneath the bed or hidden underneath the basket. It's meant to be put on a lampstand so it gives light to everyone who sees it. This is an exhortation, this is an obvious exhortation to the disciples. And he's, in essence, in verse 22, saying that more is going to be revealed. For, verse 22, for nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it will come to the light. And, and, and the Lord was like an onion, peeling back layer after layer after layer for the disciples to see Jesus Christ and to know who Jesus Christ was, who, who he is. Now, we have the Bible. We understand this. We have the advantage of having Genesis through Revelation. We have the whole, the benefit of having the entire Bible. The disciples didn't have that. They were getting it bit by bit by bit by bit by bit. But what the Lord was saying as you're learning more, it's your responsibility, disciples. In other words, even speaking to us 2,000 years later, not to hide it in our coat, not to tuck it away deep in our hearts. Oh, this is a private matter. No, 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 no. The Lord was exhorting the disciples. It's meant to be shown and to be given away, to give light to the world. In other words, we have the Bible, which ultimately says this. We enter the kingdom of God. We enter into heaven through the one and only gate. His name is Jesus Christ. And this is what this is about. Jesus is saying, I am the greatest news of all time. I am the proclamation of God. And we're called to proclaim Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ. And we're not to keep it hidden in our hearts. Of course, Christ is in our hearts. But we're meant to display it onto the lampstand. And how do you get to know Jesus Christ? We need to understand the gospel. So if you're a guest, I really would like you to really pay close attention to what I'm going to say right now. 
the gospel. And if you're not a guest, even if you're a believer, I'd like you to hear the gospel. The gospel simply means good news. And oftentimes how I like to describe the gospel is this. In order to understand the good news, we need to understand the bad news. The bad news says this, that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that you thought wrong, one wrong thing. You've done one wrong thing, at least. You've spoken one unkind word. You were harsh with your family or friends at least one time. And the Bible says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means that we're all sinners. And not only have we offended our fellow man, bigger than that now, friend, we've offended God himself. And the bad news is this. God is holy and perfect. He meant for us to be perfect. But sin has infected us like a spiritual AIDS virus. And those who are sinners, which is all of us, would die apart from receiving the good news. And death is uh, eternal death. Spiritual death is living in eternity upon our death apart from the goodness of God forever. And that's a literal place called hell. That's bad news. That's bad news. But the good news says this, that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, came to earth, lived the perfect life. God himself put on human flesh, lived the perfect life, went to the cross to pay the payment or to pay the debt of the penalty for sin that we all deserve. In other words, God himself took our punishment so that he could treat you and me as forgiven people. All right, And we believe that Jesus Christ died and we believe on the third day Jesus Christ came back to life and Jesus Christ is alive. God is alive and he's coming back. And the good news is this, the offer of forgiveness is free. It's there for you. Just take it. Just trust in Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins. Turn Acknowledge Jesus that you are a sinner. And I'm going to turn away from my sins. And I'm going to trust in the work and person of Jesus Christ. I no longer live for myself. I belong to you now, God, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if you genuinely believe this, you will be saved. That's great news. This is the proclamation of God. So when, what are we sowing? We're, pro, we're, we're proclaiming the good news. We're proclaiming the greatest news. Nothing else matters apart from knowing the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, here's an exhortation that God, the Lord, gives to the disciples in verse 23 and 24. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you hearing this, Jesus is saying? Are you understanding this, Jesus is asking? And verse 24 gives more clarification what that means. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. I think better translations, maybe the ESV will say, pay close attention to how you hear this. Take, the King James Version will say, take heed. All right, in other, in other words, take to heart what you're hearing, disciples. Don't just listen and also not respond to it. Hear it, absorb it, meditate on it, take it to heart. This is what we're called to do when we hear and understand God's word. This is why we take so much time and energy to explain God's word through the pulpit. This is why we need to understand this together as a church family. And by how your attitude is towards the word, how your heart is towards God's word, verse 24 goes on to say, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more will be given you beside. For whoever has to him, more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. What is Jesus talking about right there? 
in the simplest way here, what your attitude is like towards God's word will dictate the amount of blessing that God gives you. Hear, hear what I'm saying now. With this saying, your standard of measure, your own attitude towards God, and how you respond to God's word is, is really you're responding to God. If you take the word in, if you, if you have a desire to understand, you meditate on the word, you want to respond to the word, you want to obey the word of God, you want the word of God to absolutely saturate your life, and you're, as you're submitted to the word of God, God will entrust you with more revelation. God will entrust you with more knowledge of God. Think about it. If you have a hard heart towards God's word, do you think God would entrust you with more? Of course not. Just like, would your parents trust you with more money if you, you're squandering it, right? I mean, this is how it works. God, God's word belongs to him, and he will entrust you with more. How preciously we respond to it. Not only that, God will give us greater joy living out the Christian life. There is an absolute joy of following Jesus Christ as Lord in all areas of our lives, uncompromised, completely faithful to him. There's a great joy there that not even money could buy. But as we live this spirit-filled life where you just light up the room because obviously there's something different about her she seems to have a different attitude. She seems to have a different joy than anybody else. She seems to speak about things completely different from everybody else. God will give you more opportunities to shine the light. This is how this works. A spirit-filled, spirit-led man is someone who's absolutely saturated with God's word. And where the spirit of God ignites this in him, and he responds. And he's absolutely informed in his own life by God's word. That is a spirit-led, spirit-filled man. A someone who's obedient to his word. Anything else is extra. This is what we're talking about. Can you see that in yourself? This is what we're talking about. Because you know him so much. You know him so much. Traveling to Israel a couple years ago. The olive trees were a big deal. I find out the olive tree is a symbol of Israel, one of the symbols. They take us to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane where there's olive trees. They show us the olive press where they press the olives and then the oil is extracted. This is a big deal, all right? As if the Lord will entrust us more oil into our lamps so that we'll shine brighter for him, the more we respond to his word in a positive way. If you want the abundant life, it's about responding to God's word. And, and this, this simple parable out of verse 21 says that the lamp, of course, is supposed to be put on a lampstand. I mean, anyone knows this. Even a child would know this. The lampstand, in my mind, communicates to me, we all have a platform. You may be sitting there, well, I'm not a pastor. I don't have 100 million uh, followers on my YouTube or my Twitter account. I understand that. That's a different type of platform, but we all have a platform. We've all been given relationships. We've all been pe given people who watch our lives. So when people are attracted to your light and they ask you, why are you the way that you are? This is important now. 
I'm sure many of us have been asked this, why is it you are the way that you are? If no one ever asked you, that's also a, a commentary too on how your life is as well. And they ask you, why are you the way you are? Do you sow the proclamation of man or do you sow the proclamation of God? I want to apply this now. When people say, man, why are you so happy, so joyful? What do you answer? Well, God's given me a great family. Well, God, you know, ta- uh, you know people have, uh, uh, I was tra- raised as a child to be grateful for everything. Well, in the Japanese culture, I'm, I'm, I'm trained to just endure and to persevere no matter what. So uh, I learned that. I, I'm supposed to persevere. These are all good things, but, are, but not ultimate things. Are these the reasons why you give to people when they're looking for hope and they say, man, there's something different about you? Do you give them something else? You give them, hey, my marriage is going good. Is, is that where you turn to to explain why there's this joy about you? Or do you proclaim God's proclamation? Do you speak about God's proclamation? Second Corinthians, Paul talks about Second Corinthians 4. I want to just read this for us, just to encourage us some more. What we're supposed to be talking about. Who we're supposed to be talking about. Second Corinthians 4. 5 through 6. For we do not preach ourselves. I'm not preaching my family. I'm not preaching my mindset. I'm not preaching my career. I'm not preaching my health, my fitness. I'm not preaching some psychological mentality to kind of cope with life. I'm not preaching my education. I'm not preaching any of those things. I'm pre- what does Paul say? But Christ Jesus is Lord. We preach Christ, Paul says. And our sorrows as your bondservant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light. There it is, light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. When God gives you a softball pitch, and not one of those fast ones like those college girls throw, but one of those nice for those, for us old timers when they pitch us nice softball pitch, are you going to swing? Are you going to take a at bat? and share the gospel with them. How? Why are you the way that you are? How are you handling this health trial so peacefully? Well, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. So, the, so the, this knowledge that we've been given is not meant to be tucked away in our heart just to bless us. It's meant to be given away, hung up on a lampstand. And our lives are the lampstand. People are watching and pray that God will give you those easy opportunities to proclaim Jesus Christ. Let's get to our second point. What are you sowing? We're, we're, we're sowing the proclamation of God. And secondly, you're also sowing the power of God. The power of God. Verse 26 through 29, the Lord gives us a parable. Another story where a man is sowing seeds or casting seeds. He's just casting seeds. This is what he does. He's a farmer. He wakes up in the morning and his job is to cast seeds. That's what he does. And he, what does he do at night? He goes to bed. He sleeps. He's, he's at rest. I did my work. I'm going to eat my dinner and go to bed. And that's what he does. And what happens in the morning, in the daytime, he wakes up. And then there's a, there's a the sprout happening of, of the seeds. And, and then all of a sudden, it grows. And all of a sudden, it becomes a harvest. And he takes a sickle to it and t- reaps the harvest or the crops or the fruit. But what, is, what it says right here in verse 27, how, comma, he himself does not know. 
It's a mystery to him. All he did was sow or plant or scatter the seeds, and he goes to sleep. And then the harvest comes. And look at, let's turn with your eyes, verse 28 with me, if you would. The soil produces crops or fruits by itself. By itself. In the original language, automatos, that's where we get the word automatic. There's inherent power in the seed. It was not about the sower. The power is in the seed. And when the seed hits good soil, God's power is activated and new life is born. Obviously, this is a picture of the gospel where we are called to scatter seeds. And wherever it may land, hopefully, by God's grace, it lands on good soil. And when it touches good soil, good hearts, believing hearts, new life, is hap- new life happens. You're a new creation. In John 3, it says that we're, you're reborn again. That's where we get the word born-again Christian. Christians are born again. This is what we are. And this is why Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Do you guys know this verse? Of course you do. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is the power of God. That's where our confidence lies as we look to evangelize. Not in ourselves, but in the power of God. Verse 28 goes on to say, First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. And then there's a harvest, verse 29. And take to heart, brothers and sisters, God will complete what he started. We were at a conference this week, and one of the preachers were preaching, God will finish what he started at a first, uh, at a, uh, Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6, our, our, our guest preacher at this conference was saying, out of Philippians 1.6, for I'm confident of this thing, of this very thing, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will perfect it into the day of Christ Jesus. God always finishes what he starts. There's power in that seed. There's power in God's word. Say, so you're at work tomorrow. You're at work tomorrow. Or you go to, you go to the gym tomorrow. Okay. Do you show the power of man or the power of God? This relationships that, that you've been developing over time comes. What are you going to sow? The power of man or the power of God? What is the power of man? Well, firstly, I like to say if we're relying on our own strength and our, and our own power, our own personalities, our own wisdom, our own uh, our, our own swag, so to speak. I, I could, I could sneak in the gospel here. There's no power there. There's no power there. It actually, it only leads to fear because you're more concerned about being rejected. Thoughts such as, "What if they reject me?" will pop into your head right now. That person at work comes to you. You may be thinking, what if I don't say it the right way or do it the right way? What if I don't follow the right method or the right technique that evangelists are supposed to follow? What if I don't use the right uh, 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 timing and tone and all that? I mean, you can overthink it. You, you begin to sound like Moses. You know, who am I? I can't speak. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, God said to Moses, I will be with you. That is, that is the key. Because the point is, if you're thinking, all right, I'm going to go evangelize on my own power or my own abilities, you're going to be a fearful person because 
every time they reject a message, they're really rejecting you. That's a big deal. How you speak to your classmates, how you speak to your teammates is not your own power. It's by the power of God. So when, if you believe that you're sowing the power of God, you'll be like Paul who says out of 1 Corinthians 1.17, Paul writes this out of 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Church, you're not sent to baptize anyone. You're sent to preach the gospel. There's no method. There's no uh, order. There's no sacraments that you're ministering. You're there to minister the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech. Not in your rhetoric. Not in your fancy style. Not in your own swag, so to speak. Because if you do preach in your power, in your own abilities, so that the cross of Christ would be made void, meaning it empties your message of its power if it's about you and your abilities. And then here it is. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Meaning they're going to reject the message of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection if they're not part of the elect. If they're bad soil, they're not going to accept the message. Just accept that. That's up to God. And we should be able to sleep at night like this farmer. Just go to bed. You did your part. Pray for that soul, but you did your part. Now, but to those of us who are being saved, on the other hand, to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. There's power here. There's power. Not my power, but the power of the word. So as you can see, you talk to that person at work tomorrow, or that relative that you're going to see at Thanksgiving dinner that you see once a year, give them the power of God. Lovingly, give them the power of God. Minister the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not about methods, not about your techniques, not when they eat their cranberry sauce and they're in a good mood. Give them the message. All right, give them the message. Paul goes on to say, I plan it. Apollos watered. Maybe you're in the planting phase. Maybe you're in the watering phase. But God causes the growth. The planter, the waterer, isn't anything. It's about God doing the work, Paul is saying. So if, you, if we understand that, the, that we are actually sowing the power of God, I mean, we're unleashing God's power, we could have confidence in just rest and just being faithful. I think this is one of the biggest issues or stumbling blocks for people not sharing the gospel, professing believers not sharing the gospel, because there's a lot of fear. I'm afraid how they're going to respond to me. I'm afraid they won't receive the message. Well, it's not about us. Just faithfully give the full gospel, bad news, good news. Give it to them. Give it to them. And pray that the Lord would cause the growth. You could rest at night. You could rest at night. And rest assured, there's other soldiers that the Lord, or farmers that the Lord is bringing to cultivate that good soil, if it is good soil. Pray, trust, simply unleash the power of God. Give them Christ, right? Let the lion out, right? Let the lion of Judah out so that the lion could devour their sin, their insecurities, their depression, their hopelessness. Let Christ do the work. This is the power of God. And this is, this is such a comforting doctrine for me where God is the one who saves because it allows me to just share the gospel. 
Because our, we will not be judged on how many people came to Christ. We will be judged on, were you faithful to sow the seed? That's the key. Understanding our role. Our role is to sow, sow the seed, tell people about Christ. God's role is to save. And we just get to be part of it. That, that's such a liberating thought for me. God is the one who does it. Let's just be faithful. All right, let's go to our final point. What are you sowing? The proclamation of God, the power of God, and thirdly, you're also sowing the plan of God, plan of God. Verse 30 talks about how shall we picture the kingdom of God or what parable shall we present it? So Jesus is saying, how should I let you know how else the kingdom of God works, how else this seed works? Well, verse 31 says this, it is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. It's, you know, see, it's a mustard seed, but it's like a mustard seed when it's sown. What is a mustard seed like? It's tiny, insignificant. It's not like an avocado seed. We understand what that's like. It's unimpressive. For the Jews, it was the tiniest seed that they dealt with. Imagine this. 750 mustard seeds are required to make one gram. 750, roughly. 750 seeds were required. That's tiny. It's gone. <laughs> you sneeze, it's gone, right? It's, these are tiny, but these plants could grow to be up to 15 feet high, which becomes the largest plant in the garden. It starts off small. God's plan starts off very small. And then in, in God's time, it becomes enormous. And then what happens? Even the birds of the air can nest under its shade. What is that talking about? So you picture this with me now. This is what Jesus wants us to do. How can we present this? How can we picture the kingdom of God? Picture a 15-foot tree, mustard seed tree that turns into a mustard tree. And there's all kinds of birds. I mean, where I live near Temple City, you got all kinds of birds in the morning. They're loud. They're like these parrots. I don't know where they came from. They're, they're around. They're loud. I mean, as I'm working out at Planet Fitness, it's there. Even when I started doing quiet time in my kitchen, I could hear them. Tons of birds, right? Well, this when the, when the Lord says the birds of the air can nest under its shade, I believe he's quoting a, a messianic prophecy out of the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 17, read it on your own, verses 22 to 24. Ezekiel 17, 22 to 24, where God predicts through prophecy that the Messiah will become this huge tree and birds from all around, from which represents people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation will come under the branches and, and, and find shade and refuge in Christ, in the Messiah. So when the Lord says that the birds of the air can nest under its shade, I believe he's talking about Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all kinds of people and people groups will be there finding refuge in Christ. And it's interesting, birds, if you follow along with chapter 4 uh, closely enough, birds are negative, right? Birds represent Satan eating the seeds. And I heard it preached by one of our uh, pre presenters at, in our seminary recently that um, the birds are... Or wants enemies to God. 
And now, and as birds, we used to eat the seed. We used to attack the kingdom. And now all of a sudden, as birds, we're finding shade and refuge underneath this massive tree. We're all once enemies to God, brothers and sisters. We're all enemies to God. Maybe we didn't persecute the church like was talked about and prayed about earlier, but we were all enemies to God. And now we have been graciously given access to Jesus. And now we find our hope. Now we find our rest in Jesus. And how does the kingdom of God begin? Very small. How does he do it? You get Jesus' philosophy of ministry right here in the next couple verses, 33 and 34. With many such parables, he'll speak in the word to them. It's about God's word, right? God's word builds his church. So far as they were able to hear it, so far as they were able to understand, and he did not speak to them without a parable, the big group. But what did he do? He downsized. He goes away from the crowd. He goes away from the hype. He gets away from everybody else and circles in on his twelve. But he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. What are we learning here? What are we learning about how the Lord works? God used an itinerant preacher, uneducated, from the town of Nazareth, and he employed 12 men, fishermen and, and the bit and everything else, and this itinerant preacher spends time teaching them the Word of God teaching them, explaining them, away from the crowds. He says, privately. This is how the Lord works. Just like the mustard seed is tiny, insignificant, nobody cares, nobody's watching, no one's posting this on the social media. It's tiny. It's private. And this is how this works. Our pastoral team and some lay leaders have been going through this, this book called The Trellis and the Vine. I've mentioned this before. And vine work is basically discipleship. Vine work is hard work. You got to plant, you got to water, you got to pull out the weeds. It's hot, it's difficult sometimes. You got to deal with pests, you got to deal with weeds, you got to deal with all kinds of things. It, the process is slow growing. Where trellis work is more things that you can see quicker, things that you could observe, things that you could erect, whether it's a building or a program or some kind of event where people could see, like, whoa, that's pretty cool. That's pretty impressive. That's noteworthy to post on my account here. But vine work is slow and, and private and quiet. You don't hear plants growing. You don't. You don't hear plants growing. Trust me. It's slow and it's quiet. And I want to just apply this to our church at Evergreen. Do we sow the plan of man or the plan of God? Like we talked about, man's plans are grand. Man's plans are fast, fast growing. Man's plan is big where people can notice. Man's plan is focused on external emphasis. Wow, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty cool. Look at the numbers. Look at the programs. That's pretty neat. These are measurable things, budgets, property size, how many people attend a certain event. These are very measurable things, not wrong things now. Don't hear me wrong. These aren't wrong things, but this is a lot of trellis work here. Isaiah 55, brother Jimmy Kagawa or Jim Kagawa read this. 
55.8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Our ways are not God's ways. God's plans are different and distinct from man's plans. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What does God do to grow his kingdom? As we sung earlier, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth, and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seeds to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word, God's word, be which goes forth from my mouth. God's word is God's proclamation, God's power. It will not return to me empty. It's God's power. It will accomplish what it needs to do without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Man's plans or God's plans? God's plans... Simply sow the seed. Simply spread God's word. I will build my church upon this rock, the the rock of the truth of Jesus Christ through his word. It's slow. It's small. It's unimpressive. It's private. You just exercise in ordinary Christian fundamentals. God's word, fellowship, commitment, and prayer. These regular fundamentals. We focus on internal growth. God focuses on internal growth. How are you doing in your love for Christ? How how is your thought life? Are you responding to the word of God with eagerness? Do you have ears to hear? This is what is hard to measure. These metrics are hard to see. You could fool people how you're doing, but God knows. And perhaps the more people you have in your life, more people could affirm this. I want to read a por- small portion out of the chapter 2 of The Trellis and the Vine. The authors write, We will be arguing that structures don't grow ministries any more than trellises grow vines, and that most churches need to make a conscious shift away from erecting and maintaining structures and towards growing people who are disciple-making disciples of Christ. Let me read that again. Away from erecting and maintaining structures and towards growing people who are disciple-making disciples of Christ. This may require some radical and possibly painful changes of mindset. Here are some examples. And I'll just read you a quick examples here. From running programs to building people. Is this about building disciples or running a program? Number two, from running events to training people. Are we equipping the saints for the work of ministry? Number th- number three, from using people to growing people. How about this? From focusing on immediate pressures to aiming for long-term expansion, slow growth, slow growth. Finally, from seeking church growth to desiring gospel growth. You see, the Lord's plans are different from our plans. This is what the Lord is interested in doing. This is what the Lord is doing here at Evergreen. I could tell you this is exactly what is happening. From my vantage point, I, I, I understand I have a higher view or bird's eye view than most of us here because I have a lot of views into a lot of different compartments to our church. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. When I see people inviting their non-safe friends to church, when I hear people reaching out, when I hear people saying, man, it's such more welcoming when I come here. I used to come, I've been here for eight years and no one really was warm to me. Now people are being warm. That's an amazing thing. People tell me these things. It's important. 
This is why at Evergreen we're emphasizing God's word and discipleship is a central theme of the church. Undisputed central theme of the church, right? And we're focusing on intentional relationships that build Christ-likeness. This is vine work. This is the work that God is doing in us. Isn't that exciting? And the last part of the parable says this, uh, of the of the seeds here, or the mustard seed, the birds of the air can nest under its shade. It's amazing. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, even if we have nothing in common on this earth, we have Jesus Christ in common. We have the same tree. We find shade underneath the same tree. We find food underneath the same tree. We find shade and refuge underneath the same tree. We're unshaken because we're nestled with the same tree. Nothing else. Now, it's fine and dandy if we have other things in common, but Christ, the tree, is the one we find our connection in. So, as I said earlier, as I end this sermon and transition to communion time, I hope you feel encouraged, you know, because by understanding the nature of the seed more, you know it's not about you, nor is it about me. It's not about your power. It's not about your message. It's not even about your plan. It's about God's proclamation. It's about God's power. It's about God's plan. He's going to do exactly what he wants to do. No pressure now. Just share the gospel. Just share the gospel. Go to bed at night. Wake up. Do the same thing. Repeat. Till the Lord takes us home. That's really the pattern. These parables are quite simple. There's one general central truth that, that the Lord is trying to press upon us. This is not compl- super complicated. Wake up, be faithful, sow your seeds, go to bed, wake up, sow your seeds, do the same thing, go to bed again. That's how it works until the Lord takes us home. Confidence. I I think that's a helpful thing. I don't know how you could not be more confident about evangelizing after hearing the word of God this morning.